you worship team, church family. Uh, as you know, if you remember from whenever we were typically gathered together publicly in our sanctuary for our common worship, or if you remember from what you've seen online over the last couple of months, uh, this looks a little bit different as far as an order of service. And I just want to let you know we're doing that on purpose today. Uh, because of the fact that we are celebrating baptism, because of the fact that we are celebrating and partaking in the Lord's Supper together. And so things look a little different in that regard, besides the fact that we're out here outdoors, and that looks a little different for us as well. But there's a couple of things that I did not mention at the beginning that I want to mention really quickly. Uh, we're going to have two more songs that we are going to sing together corporately after the message and after we have baptism. And I want to encourage you, if you have a smartphone, we did not make a bunch of print copies for the sake of not having to pass things around because of COVID-19 and all of that. But if you have a smartphone and you want to open up your web browser, you can open it to holmesavenue.com forward slash outdoor. And on there are the actual lyrics for today's songs that we are singing. So holmesavenue.com forward slash outdoor, you'll be able to see the lyrics. And I also want to encourage you, when we go to sing in the next few moments after the message this morning, if you feel comfortable, stand together with us and let's sing these songs of praise to God whenever that time comes. I apologize for not sharing that at the beginning, but uh, I just remember that when we were over there. And uh, I wanted to make sure that I made it with you now. Uh, for those of you that maybe have not been with us online over the last couple of weeks, actually the last month, we have been in the book of James. We've been in this series, this sermon series, called James, Faith, in Action. And in doing this sermon series, we have been looking through this letter that James writes. And he's written this letter to these, these Jewish believers, these Christians, uh, and in writing to them, he's encouraging them to put their faith in action. He's describing what it truly means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we've seen over the last month a couple of different things. We've seen to have joy even in the midst of trials. We have seen the goodness of God even when we've got a temptation. We've seen the goodness of God in our lives. We have seen how we are to not only hear the word, but actually do what the word tells us to do. And then last week, we looked at the sin of partiality, the, the sin of, of showing favoritism to one person based on many different things that, that we've described last week during the sermon series. Particularly, James gives the example of a rich and poor person, but it can go even deeper than that. And today, what we're going to see is we're going to see, if you're looking in your Bible, James chapter 2... Verse 14, it says there, faith without works is dead. And I've entitled the sermon for today, Faith in Action. I took the title of the sermon series because what we see in this passage of Scripture today is for followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, your faith is not necessary for you to have works to be saved. We need to go ahead and get that right out the road and get it, let everybody know that. You do not have to do a bunch of works to earn God's favor for salvation. Salvation comes to a person who acknowledges the fact that they are a sinner in need of a Savior, repents of that sin, and confesses the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and begins to live his or her life for God's glory moving forward. So I want to go ahead and throw that out there. You're going to hear a couple of things that James says today in the, in the Scripture, and you might say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm, I'm confused, because it sounds like James is saying that you must have works in order to be saved. No, no, no. What James is telling us today is that the faith that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, it produces these works. It, 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 has, it helps us to be obedient to God the Father and live our life for His glory. And in doing so, we do these good works that bring glory to Him and direct everyone else to Christ that we encounter. 
So, as you know, church, as we as we always do when we go to read the Word of God together to honor the Word of God, I'm going to ask you if you would, if you feel comfortable, please stand with me as we read James chapter 2, starting in verse 14, if you're able. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brother, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace and be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, and you do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, what the faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for today. Lord, I thank you for the fact that we are gathered here together for the first time corporately in over three months. And Lord, I thank you, God, that even though we have not been able to gather corporately in over three months, God, you have still been at work. You have been doing a mighty, powerful work through your church. And Father, we rejoice in the fact that three people have given their life to Jesus, and they go forward in baptism today. And Lord, as we look at your word, we look at the topic of faith and what our faith produces in our lives for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would have your way over these next few moments. Lord, that you would speak so powerfully, Lord, that it would not be Brian, Lord, that I would get out of the way, and Lord, that you would just use this moment to proclaim your gospel so that anyone who hears, Lord, may have the opportunity to confess Christ Jesus as Lord. Be glorified, Lord, in this moment. I love you, Lord, and I bless you, and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, church. What we're going to see in this message today, in this passage of Scripture, is that followers of Christ must show in their faith, they must show that they have produced good works, bearing tangible fruit because of the righteousness of Christ Jesus in our lives. So if you're taking notes, I hope you are. Maybe you've got your James journal. If you don't, by the way, we do have some of the James journals at the table that you are more than welcome to take with you. But I hope that you have your James journal and you're at least taking notes. Point number one, a follower of Christ's faith produces good works. A follower of Christ's faith produces good works. Look at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? We see here in this opening verse how James poses this daunting question when he asks this of us. And for those of you who are followers of Christ, just like myself, as we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're members of potentially Holmes Avenue, or maybe you are visiting, or you, you check this out online, or you've heard of whatever it may be, you may think and say, wait a minute, I've heard it preached and taught here at this church, 
that works are not required for salvation. Well, you're right. They are not. You, you do not have to do this list of all of these works to earn God's favor. Because the fact of the matter is we are all sinners separated from God. We all need God's grace and mercy in our lives. We all need Christ Jesus' sacrifice at Calvary. It is needed because we cannot do anything on our own merit and our own willpower or our own control to do anything to earn salvation. That is a lie. That is false. That is not true. We must come before the Lord repenting of our sin and confessing Christ Jesus as Lord. We need Jesus in his blood that was shed Calvary to go before us so that we can be justified. So when God looks upon us when we are saved, God looks at us and he sees the righteousness of Christ that has covered us. We cannot do anything on our own merit or our own willpower or anything. We must trust and use, use the opportunity to confess Christ Jesus as Lord and know that he is at work in our lives and know that there's nothing of ourselves that can earn this salvation. You may hear the question posed by James when he says this here, and you might say, now, why would James, as I kind of alluded to earlier, why would James go and contradict something that we see elsewhere in Scripture? You might say, this might sound a little different. In fact, James sounds as if he's going against what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 3.28, when Paul says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And if you're asking that question, I want to commend you. Because you're listening intently to what is being taught. You're looking at the Word and you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense necessarily as to what James is saying. Because I thought Paul said this, or, or Brian, or Walter, or Michael, somebody has taught me before on that, a Sunday school teacher, that these words are not required for salvation. So why, in fact, is James saying this? Well, in the context of what Paul is saying in Romans, Compared to what James is saying here in James chapter 2, we have to understand that Paul is talking about pre-conversion. James is talking about post-conversion. What do I mean by that? Well, when Paul talks about being justified, he is talking about the works not being required prior to knowing Christ. You must not think that you can do anything in your own merit or your own power. No works can earn this salvation. That is what Paul is giving to the point of. Once you are saved, because of what Jesus has done, you are justified, you are saved. What James is saying here in this passage is that although Paul, yes, he agrees with Paul wholeheartedly, he does not want to contradict anything that the Apostle Paul says. What James is saying is, post-conversion, once a person has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, once the person has been saved, then they should have good works. They should have things that they are doing for God's glory, living for His glory, living for His will, doing a life of walking in obedience to God the Father, wanting to bring Him this glory and tell the world about Christ Jesus, wanting to come alongside people that are need and that are perfect, wanting to show them that love of Christ, those good works. Clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, 
without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Here, James used this, this illustration, this question, to prove his point. He's describing his brother or sister that is poorly clothed and that is lacking in food, coming near and a follower of Christ instructing them, hey, you go in peace, be warm, be filled, I'll pray for you, I hope you'll do well, God's blessings upon you. Giving you just a silly example, remember, just to say, go and do this, yet they do nothing for the person. This is especially a problem if we have the means by which we can help someone. If God has blessed us and, and, and called us and given us the opportunity there in that moment when we have someone that is in need, instead of saying, I'll pray for you, hope you do well, if we have the means, and uh, especially if the Holy Spirit prompts upon us, do something with this. Help this person in need. We must be obedient and we must do that for the person. One of the things that has impressed me so much about our church is the fact that you are a giving body. You do love this community. We are growing in the way in which we minister to this community, and I praise God for that. And, and I really believe that the, the time that we have been apart through this pandemic has given us the opportunity to really stop and reflect and see what is most important, church. Because as I've said, as you see before you, we have a baptism pool that we are going to baptize three people at least this morning. God has been faithful. God has been moving. God has been doing a mighty, powerful work, even though the doors have, quote, unquote, been closed on the church. Because we can't physically gather inside the building. But we have been able to, as people drive through and on, give them a spaghetti dinner to care for them. We have been able to, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, help Percy Elementary by providing food for these kids that desperately need food. We have been able to build relationships and start relationships with people that are right here on our streets that surround our building. For so many years, we have almost neglected that church. And through this pandemic, God has given us the opportunity to start doing what we have been called to do. He has given us the opportunity to say, Home Avenue, I have called you to this. I'm imperative. I'm pushing you towards this. Do this. And we, thankfully, by God's grace and mercy in our lives, have stepped out and we have been obedient in that. But church, this is only the beginning. This is only the beginning for us. We must continually press forward and push the gas on the mission. You hear us say it every single week, and we will say it till we're blue in the face, and then we'll revive ourselves, and then we'll do it again till we're blue in the face. But we exist so that every man, woman, and child within our circle of accountability has multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why Home Daddy Baptist Church has been given the wonderful property that we've been given at 4602 Grand Avenue, so that every person around our building, every person that we minister to, and every person we come in contact with that surrounds us in the circle of accountability, we take accountability for the lostness of the community, and we do what is necessary. We show those good works. We live out our faith so that prayerfully people come to faith in Jesus Christ, and we are able to dump them continually over and over and believe in baptism. That is why we exist. That is what we exist the church. And we cannot live our lives as an example as the person that James is saying here. We can't just brush somebody off. We must show the love of Christ to people that we come in contact with. We must continually do that. Verse 17, James says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You've heard me say it just about every week. You read something that James says, and you're like, man, that's harsh. 
But I'm thankful that James penned this divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Because this book, James, that we are going through during this summer, during this difficult season of life, it is calling all of us to get out of our comfort zone. It is calling all of us to stand up boldly for Jesus Christ and to live our lives. Now, when James says that there in verse 17, if you're, if you're reading this, he says that faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. I've got to point out this for you again, though. James is not saying that faith plus works equals salvation. No, 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 no. James is specifically saying faith in Christ is salvation. Works coming from that is natural. It should be what we do. It is imperative. So we, we've got to understand here. James is saying that our saving faith, it does not have to have these works if, in order to be saved. But if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have experienced the saving, atoning work of God in your life. You have repented of your sins. You have confessed Christ Jesus as Lord. And you believe that God has resurrected Jesus Christ. The, de- the grave has been defeated. There, there is no point of being afraid of death if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you have been saved. You have the promise of what is coming after this life ends. And that is eternity with God Almighty. And if we have the promise of eternity with God Almighty, should we not be proclaiming it from the rooftops? Should we not be telling that to our neighbors? Should we not be building upon these relationships that God is blessing us with to help the people in need? So that people can prayerfully come to faith in Christ. When James says that worthless faith is dead, that means just that. I quoted to you something that Kit Hughes said a minute ago. I want to say this, and he says also, true faith requires compassion and action. We act out of an overflow of our love for Christ and what he has done for us. So that first point was that a follower of Christ's faith produces good works. The second point, a follower of Christ's faith bears tangible fruit. A follower of Christ's faith bears tangible fruit. Look at verses 18 and 19. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith before my works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. James transitions a little bit here for a moment to give this example in verses 18 and 19 of this critic. And the response of the follower should have towards this critic. This is typical of this type of homiletical style that we see here in the Word of God. Verse 18 specifically is telling us this diatribe, this imaginary person dialogue. It's another way of saying that this would be like uh, an example by chance that Robert Plummer, who's another uh, biblical scholar, says, Why are you insisting that everyone has to be the same? Some people have faith, others have works. But as we see there in that second half of verse 18, it brings forth this question for us. How can a dead faith with no works be demonstrated? How can a dead faith with no works be demonstrated? The answer to that is it simply can't. It simply cannot. The works we show as a follower of Christ are part of this overflow of our love and our obedience to God Almighty. We have seen this in the declaration of what James is saying by this, by saying the word show. He's calling us to show this in our lives. If you recall with me from Jesus' teaching, excuse me, Jesus' teaching in Matthew 7, 15 through 20, listen to what Christ says. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered by the thorn bushes or figs from thistles? 
So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. We are recognized by our fruits. You, you, you heard me quote it just a couple weeks ago in one of the, actually it was last Sunday in my sermon at the end, where we looked back at Matthew 5 for a moment, in 13 through 16, where Jesus is talking about us being the salt of the earth. He's telling us to, just like you, you, you are to shine your light in the midst of the dark, shine your light so that others may see your good works and what? Praise your Father who is in heaven. It's this overflow of our love and our obedience to God that these works are shown to people. And it points people back to Jesus. Prayerfully, it opens up time for conversation for us to share our faith with people. But we say, as I said a moment ago, that we, we exist so that every man, woman, and child has these multiple things to what? See, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They see it by the way in which we act. They hear it by the way in which we speak. Verse 19 says, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. James continues this example. You've got to remember, he's writing to these early uh, Jewish believers. And he's given this example from all the way back in Deuteronomy 6, from the Shema. And it's this idea of God is one, this monotheism. And we can go way into that. We can do that more in the future. But it, it comes from this, this, this core Jewish creed called the Shema, from Deuteronomy 6. And it affirms that said person is correct, but it goes deeper than that. 19b tells us that the demons even believe. Yet they shudder. The demons even believe, yet they shudder. Now this is not a belief that the follower of Christ has. This is not a belief that God has sent Jesus Christ to live the perfect sinless life, to go to Calvary's cross, to die taking on God's wrath, where he would give up his spirit, be buried, and in three days raise to new life. No, 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 no. The demons do not have that kind of saving belief like we do for a follower of Jesus. The demons know and understand who God is because they see God as he is. They follow the Christian power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience, Satan. They understand that God is who he says he is, but they do not have salvation to that God. Because they don't know Christ Jesus as Lord. That is why they shudder. That is why they are in fear of God Almighty. James is saying, listen. You believe that God is one. Great. That's great. But it goes even deeper than that. It's more than just this head knowledge, church. It's more than just this acknowledging and saying that you're a follower of Jesus. It's more than just saying, well, I go to church, or I do this for the poor, or I do this, or I do that. It is more than just the works. You have to have the salvation first. The works flow out of it. So not only does a follower of Christ take their tangible fruit, but the last thing we see is that a follower of Christ is redeemed, is deemed, excuse me, righteous by the faith in Christ. A follower of Christ is deemed righteous by their faith in Christ. Look at verse 20. Do you want to be shown a foolish person that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. We see here that James is transitioning, and he's giving us some examples here. In verse 21 specifically, he says, Abraham, our father, remember this original audience, that would make sense to them. 
but he is not contradicting Paul yet again. James is using the term justified here differently in which the Apostle Paul does. You see, when Paul says justified, that means the moment that you are saved, God looks at you as if you, it's just as if you have not sinned. You are justified. You are, you are shown Christ's righteousness. You are saved. There's nothing more that you have to do. Then you need to live a life of obedience to God. But you are justified. You are saved. What James is using the term here for is to point how it is to show one, one's work demonstrate the fact that a person has been justified. It's this demonstration. It says there in 22, faith was active along with his work and faith was completed by his work. James is saying that, that Abraham, when he goes to sacrifice Isaac, and if you, if you don't know that story, you may be a little taken back by hearing this, but Abraham is told by God to go and take his son Isaac to sacrifice him. Because in the Old Testament, you have to offer these sacrifices up to God. And in doing so, Abraham is told to sacrifice his own son. Abraham does nothing against what God says. Abraham doesn't say, well, God, this is my child. I can't do that. I say, well, man, that sounds weird. Well, Abraham is doing exactly what God says, and God had a plan for it. You see, because as you're going up, I'm summarizing here, but as you're going up, Isaac starts to realize, wait a minute, we don't have the sacrifice. What's going on? The time comes where Abraham is going to actually sacrifice Isaac, and there in that moment, God makes it clear to Abraham, whoa, 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 stop it. You were obedient to me. You trusted me. You knew that I had a reason for this. Thank you. Thank you for being obedient. Because he provides the sacrifice for them to offer up there instead of Isaac being sacrificed. Because Abraham had faith. We can see later on in the book of Hebrews through what is commonly referred to as the Hall of Faith, how Abraham is mentioned there. But he does this. James' indication of the word completed shows his understanding of faith alone in saving. Completed here shows, and I'm referring back to 22, shows that of work to be part of growing maturity in Christ, i.e. faith in action. Very quickly, 23. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteous, and he was called a friend of God. That's taken directly from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. And it's to complete Paul's teaching on justification. Why exactly James mentions it here. Here James is focused on Abraham's obedience. Where Paul was teaching on this about Abraham in Romans 4. Focused on God's declaration of Abraham as righteous. Both of these things accomplish the same thing. Again, Paul when he talks in Romans. He's talking about a person coming to faith in Christ. James is referring to the fact that now that you know Christ, this is what is expected. This is what it means to have faith and to live a life of obedience to God. 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. James, again, not contradicting Paul, but James' declaration of faith alone can be looked at this way. I mentioned a moment ago, head knowledge without the heart change, thus bearing fruit. We see this in the Gospels with the Pharisees, do we not? The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they had it all here, and they didn't have it They were not transformed by God. They didn't know Christ Jesus as Lord. It was standing before them. 
They knew the scriptures. They knew the word. They knew what was coming up here. Yet with God in the flesh before them, they didn't even realize. Matter of fact, they wanted to have them fulfilled. I want you to listen very, 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 very intently to this. If you have it here, but you have not been transformed here, that's not saving faith. You might say, well, Brian, I've been in the church my whole life. I've heard the word of God proclaimed each and every week. I've sat underneath Bible teachers week after week after week. If you have not truly been regenerate and the Holy Spirit indwells you, you have a lot of head knowledge, but you do not have true faith in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't say that to make you stop and start questioning yourself, wait, am I really saved? But I do want you to take a moment and reflect. I want you to stop and think about your life. Do you have a life that live, is lived truly in obedience to God? Do you live your life set apart? Living your life saying that I truly am a follower of Jesus, so I present my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is my spiritual worship. Do I do that? Do I have these works that flow from the fact that I have been transformed by the power of the gospel that has saved my life? And you might say, well, Brian, no, I, I don't. I, I, I've heard a lot of stuff. I've done a lot of stuff. I, I've gone to church. I thought I was doing all the right stuff, but I don't know that I truly have been saved by Christ Jesus. Well, guess what? Today can be the day of salvation for you. Because here's the thing. If you, if you come before us today during the time of reflection or at some point during the service and you say, you know what? Something that was said, and I started to feel something. I, something's up. I would dare say that that is the Holy Spirit of God moving in your life. And if you need to come forward and you need to talk to Walter or I at the conclusion of the message, I want to challenge you to do so. You might say, well, Brian, I've got faith in Christ. I know Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I, I know that. But I have this going on in my life and I need prayer. We will pray with you. We, we will help you. But we've got the baptism waters here. If you, if you were today, if today is the day of salvation for you, you can be baptized and tell the world right here and now today that I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. We see in James driving home this point in verse 25. And in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. James gives this example of Rahab the prostitute and that, that is the, the title in which she's referred to in Scripture because she was during that time period. But she helps these two Jewish spies to go and seek out her homeland in Jericho as they were directed by Joshua. Joshua telling them to go and find out what is going on there in the land. Go in there and see what is up. And so they go in obedience to God and get Rahab, understanding that something is up, understanding that God is at work in this. She takes them and she hides them so that they do not lose their life. So that they can go back to Joshua and that God's plan can continue to move forward. This example here includes Rahab, showing this great work because of her faith. And in closing in 26, James says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith from works is dead. He closes this section with this final exclamation mark. One has one person that, that is a true, regenerate follower of Jesus Christ. It produces work. It is tangible for others to see. So I ask you, do you have this? 
truly been saved. As I said a moment ago, today could be the day of salvation for you. I made it very clear, I, I hope and pray, that God made it clear to you today what exactly Jesus has done. Coming and living the perfect, sinless life. Going to Calvary's cross after being betrayed by one of his followers. Beaten and flogged. If you've never heard that term flogged, it means that they had this cat of nine tails that would whip Jesus over and over, pulling the flesh off of his bones. Where he would be sentenced, although a sinless man, innocent, he would be sentenced to death by crucifixion. And he would go to Calvary's cross. His hands and his feet nails would be driven through them. It would be slumped into the ground and he would hang there. And he would have to continually pull his body up to breathe. And he does all of that. And while he's there hanging there, he looks out and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Even in the midst of such pain and suffering, he cries out to the Father to forgive them for they know not what they do. Yet after he goes through all of that, Scripture tells us that God's wrath is poured out on Jesus. So the moment Jesus gives up his spirit and he dies. Why does he do that? He does that because God Almighty sent him. It was part of God's redemptive plan that goes all the way back to Genesis. Scripture made it clear when God said to Satan that there would be a time where the offspring of Eve, and he says, you will have enmity between your offspring and her offspring. And he talks about the moment that when Jesus Christ is on the cross, he's foreshadowing. It's the first gospel presentation, the proto-evangelium. He says, you shall bruise his heel, he shall bruise your head. Pointing to the cross. Pointing to the moment that Jesus dies. He dies on that cross. He's buried in front of the tomb. It looks as if Satan won. It looks, it looks as if everything that they wanted to have happen to Jesus has been, has been completed. He's been silenced. We don't have to fear about this anymore. We don't have to see this cult following that's following after him. Yet on the third day, Jesus Christ resurrects from the grave. There are many religions out there. There are many people that say they have faith in whatever God, little g, that you want to have out there. But the fact of the matter is, every single one of them have an end date at the end of their life. Our Lord and Savior defeated the grave. He is alive, He is resurrected, and He has ascended and sits at the right hand of God Almighty until the day God says, go back and get them. And church, the reality is, that no man knows the day nor the hour in which Jesus Christ is coming. The fact of the matter is, it's the old saying, we all have the assurance of death impacted in this life. And unfortunately, that is true. But the reality is, each and every one of us have an end date for our life. And we may hope and pray that one day we'll be 90 years old. But even at 32 years old, my life could end today. And I rejoice in the fact that I have Jesus as my Lord. And I pray to God that you know Him as your Lord and Savior. Because there's no accolade that you'll ever earn in this life that measures up 
no title that you'll ever have that measures up to being called a child of God. If today is the day of salvation for you, I pray that you'll let us know that. What I want to do right now is something that we were doing pretty consistently before the pandemic hit. We've been doing it online. But I want us to have a moment of quiet reflection and prayer. And I want you to ask yourself, what is God saying to you today? Follower of Christ, is God bringing something before you that you need to repent of? Is there something that you're holding on to, something that you're not doing as a follower of Jesus Christ that you need to be doing? I want to encourage you to repent and start living that way, living this life of obedience to God. If you're here today and you say, I don't know Christ Jesus as Lord, today could be the day of salvation for you. If you want to know more about that or you feel that God truly is moving and working in your life right now, Walter and I will be up here in a few moments when the band plays a song. And I want you to come forward and talk to us and say, I want to know what I need to do to be saved. Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, of course you must repent your sins as well, then you will be saved. So let's pause for a moment of quiet prayer. I want you to ask those questions. See what the Lord is doing in your life right now. And then we're going to move forward with baptism. And then we'll sing a song. Let's go to quiet reflection prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. I pray, God, that, that I have been able to use this time where that you have spoken through me, Lord, and that as people have listened, Lord, and as they are reflecting right now and they're praying to you right now, Father, they're asking what it is that you want them to do next. Lord, if there's a person here to follow Jesus Christ, they say, man, I've got this one on my life. I really need to come to this. I need to, to, to move forward and walk in obedience. But I pray, God, that you would bring that perfectly clear to them, Lord, and that they would step up and that they would acknowledge that, repent of it, cry out to you, Lord, and start living this life of obedience. Or for the one that might be here right now, Lord, or that is listening online, I pray, Father God, Lord, that you would continue to move and work in their life right now. Lord, that today, right here and now, is the day of salvation for them, Lord. Let them have the boldness to say, God is, is radically changing me right now. I want to confess Christ Jesus as Lord. And Father, we will rejoice and we will celebrate with them. But Lord, whatever it is, Lord, I pray right here and right now, Lord, that you would have your way. That you would move in such a powerful way right now, Lord. We pray, God, that as always, you be glorified. We love you, Lord, and we bless you. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.